Welcome back to Sleepy City, a podcast about microcultures in Victoria, BC. This episode, we're talking about people who live with mental illness and the creative practices that are part of their lives. We'll start off today looking at a unique film experience that's been happening weekly in Victoria since the early 90s. All of us patients sitting around at 9 o'clock at night with our little sandwiches, our mug up, our cup of cocoa and our sandwich, and sitting there and watching a film that was uh, made for TV. I haven't been able to locate it, but I'd love to show it again. And it was about um, uh, a bipolar guy, a manic depressive, out there with a hostage, a woman, and he had a shotgun taped onto her arm, pointed at her head, and he was, um, you know, threatening to kill her in his bipolar way, dramatically. And um, there's a SWAT team gathering and taking a beat on this guy. And here we are with our little cups of cocoa, <laughs> sitting there in our bathrobes, some of us with bipolar disorder, um, trying to figure out whose side we're on. Do we want to save the guy with bipolar and, you know, when he gets better, he'd be fine? Or, you know, um, or, or go with the, um, the cops who just want to put this guy out. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of programming that we were invited to watch up on the ward. It was just bad, badly chosen whatever came down the pipe. And it still happens. There's still a TV um, on the wards in the new facility that anyone can pretty much look at anything. You know, uh, some pretty disturbing stuff. One other example was um, a friend of mine I met through, through Movie Monday and that. Um, he was having a psychotic episode and he was in the Archie Cortinal Center, the emergency psychiatric facility. And it happened to be Halloween night. And there was vampire movies on the screen in the actual space where people were hanging out on recliners because there's not enough beds and vampire movies coming across on the TV. So you're there and you're psychotic already. You've been you know, threatening your family and uh, really spaced out. And um, yeah, it just, just uh, it drives me crazy when badly chosen stuff is put in front of people that are you know, having a hard time anyway. So I, I, I use that as a bottom line. At least I could choose better than that. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. Um, you went to the Eric Martin Pavilion to see the Alma Diaries? D drawings. Drawings, the Alma Drawings. Amazing evening. I didn't quite know what I was getting into, so I went online first and started to get an idea. And then it turned into the most incredible movie uh, event I've ever been to in my entire life. Wow. That's... Yes. That speaks pretty highly, I would say. Very exciting. And to walk into a 25-year-old culture that was set up by somebody, uh, an ex-patient of the Eric Martin, and into film land uh, of interesting films that don't often get into the movie, regular movie theatres, mm -hmm. uh, such as the Alma Drawings. 
And then what's also exciting is that after every film, there are discussions. People are brought in, or in this case, they had uh, the niece who's looking after all books and paintings from Alma and her estate. Uh, We did a teleconference. And people were asking really in-depth questions. Amazing. Wow. Yes. But a wonderful evening. Uh, the film place itself is is a small culture of people who like offbeat, well, not general films that you'd see in a normal movie theatre and really good ones like that have won awards and you walk into people who've gone a lot, know each other, are very friendly. Great. Yeah, and I'm going again. My name is Bruce Saunders, and um, I'm 65 years old, getting a little gray around the chin. And um, I, um, I'm a, I have been a psychiatric patient here in the hospital. I have bipolar disorder. Um, I've been hospitalized twice for um, suicide uh, attempts. Luckily, survived them, but just barely. Um, and uh, yeah, I discovered this theater when I was a patient upstairs, as I mentioned already. Uh, yeah, I'm a gardener. I do uh, landscape maintenance gardening. Uh, have done for 35 years, and I've had some of my customers about that long. Bruce runs Movie Monday, an event at the Eric Martin Pavilion, which is the psychiatric wing of the Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria. Bruce curates a list of movies that play every Monday night at the Little Theatre. There are several rows of seats and then a stage where the movie is projected onto the wall. And um, I luckily live physically within uh, blocks of the theatre here. It makes it really handy if I forget the butter or um, the film that I'm showing. I can just zip home in a couple of minutes and grab it and come back. I, I'm a pretty forgetful guy too. I have a um, uh, diagnosed uh, uh, memory problem and uh, so it quite often means that I am running home to get stuff at the last minute. Admission is by donation. There's a table with snacks for purchase, like dollar bags of popcorn and licorice and pop. And there's always a discussion after the film. It's not unusual to have the director either in the theater or on a teleconference line to join the discussion. So I I got the idea when I was a patient, but it was a a few weeks after, three weeks after, that I uh, first showed a film. So it was um, June uh, 14th, 1993. I went to the guys down the hall who were in the audiovisual department, realized that they were the guys who set it up and had the key to the room. While I was still a patient, actually, I asked them, is there a chance I could show a film down there? Um, Seems like a good idea. I'd heard about it being done once or twice before by a a social worker, a case manager, and I had this idea in my mind of what that could be like, and then when I finally saw the theater, it all came together. And uh, so I asked the audiovisual guys, and they said, well, yeah, we could probably help you out with that. And um, they made it possible for me to show the film once uh, on a Monday. It was uh, Cannery Row. It's still my favorite film. I've I've shown it four times. the fourth time we spoke to the director in California who, you know, recalled, you know, 15 years, 20 years ago what it was like to uh, make the film. And um, it's a brilliant little film. And it's so much like what I do. Uh, if you know the film, the doc in the film 
is um, kind of like me, kind of a offbeat kind of guy, um, has a background and stuff, and he's cr surrounded by a bunch of uh, uh, ne'er-do-wells and uh, <laughs> uh, guys living in, you know, in boilers, old boilers in the cannery, and uh, uh, he's trying to work his way through with these somewhat uh, oddball characters all around him and trying to do the right thing and um, yeah, it, it's sometimes what Movie Monday is like here. <laughs> Some of the last people to leave at the end of the night are very much like the gang at, at Cannery Row. It, I showed the one film and then I said, well, I, that sort of worked out. We had like 14 people come and um, I, I just advertised it with a paste-up ad and uh, on the ward and a couple of friends in the, the um, support group that I belong to uh, came, the Mood Disorder Support Group. And um, so I considered that a reasonable success. So we tried it again. Um, I set up four events and uh, every, every Monday, just because Monday was available at the theater. And uh, yeah, my, my family, we decided on, on the weekend or two before the show, what we call it Movie Monday. Um, so um, yeah, we did four more shows and it kind of locked in a little bit and uh, um, just kind of grew from there. And so it's, um, it, from the start, I was just choosing stuff off the rack at the video store and wasn't worrying about public performance rights and all the considerations that you have to go about because it was very small and, and just for an invited audience. And gradually I broadened it out. Um, one of the bigger events that we did after a year was uh, the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We're from the uh, state mental institution. Uh... This is Dr. Cheswick, Dr. Tabor, Dr. Scanlon. I'm Dr. McMurphy. And a uh, really contentious film in mental health circles. Uh, that and other events, I realized that the real value of, of Movie Monday was both, you know, getting people together to, just to watch a film is, is uh, something in itself. These days, especially, people are watching stuff in their living rooms or in their bedroom on a... On a on a little flat screen all by themselves. And to bring people together to share a movie is really important and to add value to that uh, screening, have uh, guests, uh, speakers that are intimately involved in the stories and have the audience have a chance to discuss it, uh, to share ideas that are s stimulated by watching the film right away before they leave their seats after the show is, is really quite fascinating to me. Mm. So I, I have the privilege of uh, finding films, old and new, that uh, are um, that bring up topics and bring together people that are, are just fascinating. Every week is like an adventure for me. And uh, uh, I get an honorarium for running it, but it's basically you can't charge a full wage when you have people coming in who can barely afford to... Uh, to buy popcorn at a dollar a bag. It's a labor of love and um, it's absolutely fascinating. Every morning I get up, I'm on the computer finding, finding backgrounds to uh, films, uh, lining up guests, sorting through what happened, if it's a Tuesday morning, what happened last night, uh, thanking the, the filmmakers, writing the checks for them to come, because now we can, we have a budget, we can afford to, uh, to have people uh, paid for their films and for their uh, for their input to Movie Monday, and uh, it's it's been a 22-year amazing ride.
Bruce says Movie Monday gave him a chance to express himself creatively, and that made a huge difference for him. Uh, it became the most important thing in my life, really, um, besides family and all. Uh, but it was uh, just a real opportunity to be creative. Yeah, the, the thing about bipolar, the bipolar personality, oftentimes, not always, uh, but oftentimes we're quite creative people. And um, sometimes you can kind of push that down just for practical reasons or because you're having a difficult time dealing with just ordinary life. So you might you might be a painter, you might be a dancer or a whatever. If you're, if you're lucky, you can put some of that creative um, juice into, um, into creating something neat and it gives you some really positive feedback. I run into so many people, in, especially in the bipolar frat. That's the biggest thing in their lives is, is the creativity thing. And, and I sort of squashed it down. I was a photographer by definition when I was a young fella. In, in high school and uh, soon after I went to um, university in fine arts but only lasted a year because of this memory problem and just university was just overwhelming for for me but I was always uh, interested in photography and uh, and over the years I just kind of squashed it down and uh, just got on with just struggling along trying to keep the um, you know dealing with you know family stuff bringing up kids and earning a living and uh, trying to find myself uh, uh, in in my work and um, just practical life. All the success of the event and the positive environment of Movie Monday stand in contrast to the painful experiences that Bruce went through that catalyzed the project. I've, I've lived through suicide uh, attempts myself and have lost people to suicide and I know there is a contagion effect but there's also a really um, bad effect of being silent about it as well. It's a deeply kept secret that most people that intend to commit suicide are not talking about it an awful lot before they make an attempt or actually succeed. I'm lucky that I've survived for you know, these, these attempts and um, I've had an incredible life and a big turnaround. Movie Mondays are every Monday night at the Eric Martin Pavilion at the Royal Jubilee Hospital through the entrance on Fort Street. You know, here's a guy who's got a bad memory and bipolar disorder, and uh, it's been a steady 22 years. Every week I've been here to live up to my responsibilities of running Movie Monday. And, um, you know, bad memory and all this stuff, um, all this complicated stuff is happening. Um, uh, well, I see other little nonprofits struggling and, and failing and, you know, coming and growing and disappearing. Uh, this one just keeps chugging along, and I expect it will for as long as I can keep it up. Katie Sage is the arts reporter for CFUV Radio. If you listen to Sleepy City regularly, you'll have heard her in last week's episode. She hosts an art program called Artscape, and interviews local artists, gallery owners, curators, and other people involved in the arts community. I happen to manage a studio space for the Ministry of Casual Living. I am currently the acting minister, and what was happening was I put up a show of Liam Lloyd's work in the ministry window in the Odeon Alley, and it kind of casually we were just talking and 
about my show and I said oh Liam I would love to do a an interview with you and he was like oh yeah sure we'll do it at my studio great and then I kind of nonchalantly brought up an interview that I had done the week before with his studio mate John Dowdle. Katie had interviewed him in a place significant to his art practice. And then Liam was kind of like listening to this, like that John was so open and that he had chosen a spot specific to him and his art practice. And so Liam was compelled to then kind of, it seemed like reluctantly compelled, but also really kind of seemed like he really wanted to kind of like come out of this place and he was ready and really grounded and solid because we'd also talked about that in earlier conversation and he said you know I used to live at the Eric Martin Pavilion for a long time when I was younger and I think that would be a really interesting place to do an interview and I've struggled with mental health I'm going to start from the beginning. When I was between 17 and 18, I was experiencing a lot of, I guess, hallucinations and stuff, and it was really confusing for me, and I attempted to take my own life, and because of that, I ended up in a hospital and then came through and started talking to a doctor. The questions that he asked um, and my answers led me to come into here because of their interpretation of the answers that I gave them was, this young man is schizoaffective. So I came here um, thinking that I would maybe get some help. because my parents were concerned. And so from around 17 to 18 till I think about 23 or 24, um, I was in and out of this place a lot. Um, yeah, and I'm sure some of the nurses would probably remember me. Actually, when we were wait- when I was waiting, I, there was a nurse that, or a caseworker that walked by me and she was like, I recognize you, it's kind of seen, like it seemed like she gave me a nod. I took the bus there and I showed up like a a minute late or something and he was sitting outside. It was interesting because when I got there he was like oh we'll just do it right here like out on the steps and I kind of said well it's I mean Fort's pretty busy like would you be okay if we like went inside and he was like yeah yeah I could do that so we we just kind of found a seat in the lobby and he really reflected on being in that lobby space and kind of went into the visceral experience of what that was for him during that time and when I was younger I was a patient here and when I'm sitting here with you I feel a little uneasy but happy that I'm, I'm not actually staying here um, because 
I'm a patient person, but I don't necessarily love waiting rooms. And I feel like in as a patient when I was here, I feel like it was a lot of waiting. Um, and hoping, you know, maybe get a visitor or when's lunchtime? When's the food gonna when are we gonna eat? When can I go for my next smoke? I think those are all thoughts that I had when I was a patient. Being patient in the waiting room. <laughs> Art for me was like a meditation, a celebration, a vehicle, all the stuff that it was like a friend. It was my friend. It was my best my best friend drawing. When I was going through all this, the mental health stuff, I would see um, like silhouettes of people and green and white and yellow kind of translucent people all the time. Like just kind of like another city around us with, and like, and it was kind of like, it was freaky and scary, but at the same time, it was kind of like hypnotizing, you know, like, wow, there's semi-invisible person sitting right there and not knowing how to deal with it. And I feel like my mental health stuff is really under control, but as a artist, like that, taking that influence of my subconscious, subconscious and putting it into um, a connection to everyday life is actually pretty neat to experiment with as, as an artist. Katie uploaded the interview and shared it on social media. While she was on air, a friend of hers wrote a response on her Facebook post. He said, I need help. I'm suffering right now. And then, I mean, I was airing the show so I didn't even see it until after the show but the thread kind of went Liam saw it because he you know was at the studio and was on the internet at the time and just said where are you let's talk and so the person who I who reached out to say they were suffering then listen to the show and decided to go to the hospital and get help and kind of break that silence and it was I think it was just me saying and very publicly like you don't have to suffer and you are not alone because that is something that I learned last year. You, People, even though they are a part of a community and they have friends, I think sometimes they forget that and they need to have that kind of blatant word reminder. Like, you are not alone and you don't have to suffer. There's help out there. So, mm-hmm. I think it just kind of triggered something to be like oh wow okay yeah um and he was very moved by the p 
piece and said, you know, it was reassuring to know that someone else had kind of gone through that and was able to be so vulnerable and just put out, you know, something that not a lot of people feel comfortable talking about. He is now going to regular sessions at the Native Friendship Center and has been to the hospital as well and has now kind of spoken to all most of his close friends and kind of said like this is what I'm struggling with and I just need you to know and you know I'm doing better and but it's like a struggle I just wanted to add that if people feel alone and they're struggling that I think that they should look at their art as a blessing in their lives and that they should share that by any means necessary. Talk about your art, talk about your feelings, don't let the bad stuff get you down. I mean, we're, we're all here and we're here to share our experiences and as creative people and people in general, we have to we have to care for each other. Mm-hmm. We should care for each other, care for ourselves, and give ourselves compassion, give other people compassion, because life is a precious, precious thing. Let yourself process through art. Let yourself process through photography. Let yourself process through writing, dancing. All these things are so important. And it's there for a reason. You know, we've been drawing, we've been dancing, we've been doing all this stuff. It's not to be taken for granted. It's a, it's a life-saving practice. And it's so important to get out there and meet people, draw with people, go to art shows. We're all going through something. And it's important that we connect with each other. Don't be alone. Yeah, so the other day I posted a th- little cry for help on Instagram because I was feeling really low. It was about feeling depressed and um, I've done things like that before while I'll sort of like reach out online and so it's not like completely new to me to do that but even weirdly it was still like just as scary to do it this time even though I've done it like several times before. I I don't know I was just feeling like really low put this thing on Instagram saying that just like need some support but it's hard to ask for it and a variety of people reached out and it really helped me sort of like just get out of that. Hi I'm Crystal Dorabelle. Crystal is an artist and musician in Victoria and has released several albums as White Poppy. She also plays in other musical projects. And she has a blog, Sanity Soap, where she posts things related to mental health. She says some of the people she's friends with that deal with mental health issues are also in the arts community she's a part of. 
And that's originally what I started the blog about because it was just something that I recognized, like the link between mental illness and creativity. And I'm still like kind of exploring that just in my own way because me and my friend, we haven't put it out yet, but we're almost finished this zine that is about artists with mental health issues but also just about recognizing how it's romanticized a bit the concept of like the tortured artist and like that you have to be disturbed to be prolific or a genius or something and that's really problematic because it kind of perpetuates the idea of like that you need to be suffering in order to create good art but then so there's that concept but then there is also the very real thing that you notice that people who are struggling do create so I'm sort of like trying to understand like find a balance between like the negative stereotype and the reality that does that is there around that connection. When we sat down to talk we discussed how difficult it can be to know how to respond to someone who's clearly struggling with mental illness and potential ways to offer help. Even like me who is someone who feels highly compassionate toward other people who are struggling I even find myself in that situation where I'm like I don't know what to say because everything I say feels superficial or feels like too wishy-washy like you just gotta you know one of those people again like you just gotta look on the bright side you're like no <laughs> but yeah I think it's a situation where it's like we're not all trained like therapists so we don't know what to say all the time um, but I've found that even just expressing that to people can be helpful. Like, I want to be a support right now. I don't have the training. I don't, I don't know what to say, but I'm here, like, to listen and to, like, say what I can. And sometimes just expressing that can be helpful because otherwise you're just sitting there kind of like, uh, and then they look at you and you look like you're, like, afraid of what they're saying, but you're not. You actually just don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So I think transparency is helpful or like I can help you find like something like I can help you like let's look at this thing humor can be helpful if you're looking for further resources regarding mental health you can reach out for support through the Vancouver Island crisis line at one 494 or check out their website vicrisis.ca Headsupguys.ca is a website that offers information about men's depression for people who might be suffering and for people who want to offer support. And you can find the Movie Monday listings at moviemonday.ca. I'm Liz MacArthur, the host, editor, and producer of Sleepy City. Next week, I'm happy to welcome Sean McPherson as researcher. And thank you to Alyssa Rennick, who transcribes for the podcast. Next time on Sleepy City, a book called Michelle Remembers was published in 1980 that alleged ritual satanic abuse in Victoria. The book was a major part of the satanic panic that gripped North America during the 80s. I'm going to look at the impact that book had on culture here in Victoria, the Sleepy City, which has also been known occasionally as the satanic or witchcraft capital of North America. I'll be back with that in two weeks. (laughs) 